Welcome to Moss Marketing Mondays, a.k.a. the M3 Podcast. Brought to you by Moss Marketing Group. Bringing you everything marketing every Monday. Stay tuned for marketing tips and tricks you can use today. The M3 Podcast. Marketing knowledge to help you succeed. Let's get started. Welcome back to the M3 Podcast. This week, we got a very special guest. We got Brent Ussery. I got that right? That's right, man. That's right. There is there is a video on Instagram on pronouncing your last name. So if I got that one thing right, then I got the whole podcast dialed in. We could just wrap it up now. But uh, Managing Director of the Kansas City Territory for Northwestern Mutual. That's right, man. Thank you very much for being on. So glad to be here with you guys. Appreciate it. We also got yeah. Logan and Dre on from the MMG team. And you're someone that I feel like our paths have crossed long ago and just kind of kept crossing in different points. And now it's led us here. And let's start off where where does your story start? Where did you go to high school? What what's the what's from ground zero all the way up? So, uh, high school is Mid Buchanan. Mid Buchanan's a uh, kindergarten through twelfth grade. So, um, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mid Buchanan R five. We actually grew up between two small towns. So there was Agency, Missouri, and Fawcett. I was a couple miles between the two. I think Agency has a population of six hundred. Fawcett has a population of maybe 400. So pretty, pretty rural area. And, um, yeah, man. Um, you know, my parents built a house on a, in a cornfield and, um, corn's a good thing around here. Cornfield, Yeah. So mm-hmm. you go to school there and you also went to Northwest. That's right. Which I think that was the first place that we ended up crossing paths somewhere, which I apologize for crossing paths with me at, at that point in my, my life. <laughs> I definitely didn't have a whole lot figured out. You got to figure but, out where they came from in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I like to party a little bit at that that time. So we also come from the same fraternity. So we were both, were three of us, Logan. Not me. Not Logan. <laughs> but three of us were SIG apps at Northwest. Yeah. So Sound I, mind, sound body. Yeah. So I think that was something that's kind of cool on all the... <laughs> I haven't heard that a long time. <laughs> but... It's cool to see all the the paths that we cross in the the future of people that had a similar foundation in college. That there's a lot of things I think that the the fraternity that we were in taught us. It I know it's something that got me into community service, which I probably wouldn't have gotten into by myself. That I ended up really enjoying. There's a lot of things that got got me involved in and made me level up on different different things on getting on an exec board, doing whatever it is within the fraternity. But there's so many friendships and there's so many people that it comes back around somewhere in life mm-hmm. that you run into somebody that are like, you were a SIG up in Northwest, I was a SIG up in Northwest. And then it's like, all of a sudden there's just a bond that's created. But so you go through college, what'd you go to college for? So I go up to Northwest. I was studying international business. I was going to be an international Businessman traveling the world, 
Mm-hmm. Sounded pretty good at that time of my life. Straight that out of cornfield cool. traveling. <laughs> <the world. laughs> Let's go. I want to see something different. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, I thought that would be a leg up, right? Yeah. You know, everybody else is studying marketing and business. So I'm going to one up, study international business, <laughs> and, you know, probably get to travel, do some study abroad as well. Yeah. <laughs> No cornfields studying abroad. <laughs> He's like, I've went from seeing nothing. I'm going to go see all of it. So yeah. you're studying international business. Mm-hmm. What does the progression through college look like with that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, you have to study a foreign language. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty uh, proficient at Spanish. I took a course in high school. So that was a natural progression. Get it, <laughs> get into Spanish. And, um, it's all fun and games until you start having to read, read and write it in paragraph format. So uh, I was pretty close to getting my minor in Spanish, but about out uh, about the time that we started reading books in Spanish. <laughs> he said, you know, it sounds cool with international business, just American business. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I was accepted to study abroad in uh, PUC Rio. And uh, I was looking forward to that. The bill came. It was a pretty hefty bill. So I pulled the plug. And then um, I ended up studying abroad um, one of the upcoming summers in Europe. So that was pretty neat adventure. And we were out in Europe all summer long and jumped around between Brazil or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Belgium and um, Germany. We went over to Dublin, Ireland as well. So how long were you over in Europe? Yeah. We were there for a um, couple of months. Yeah. yeah. So so Dalton and I, uh, when we were getting our geology degrees, we did our, uh, what is it? What do they call that? Field camp. Yeah, we did our field camp in Spain. Hmm. So we were over in Spain for six weeks. Um, it was a... What was that like? It was a crazy cool experience. It was... So we... Most people think Spain and they're thinking Barcelona, which that's where we flew into. But we were up in uh, the Pyrenees Mountains in a little city called Ainsa. And we were hiking all day, every day. Uh, You want to talk about God's country? It is a part of the world that has never been touched. And you'd be hiking for hours and you'd pop out and there'd be this little house that was built way before America was ever even founded. And it's turning off water, coming down the mountainside. They have sheep everywhere out there. I'm like. This is a postcard. These people out there are like, <laughs> seeing these two American guys popping out of the woods, hiking over there. Like, hey, like, you're a long way from home. Yeah. And it was like just the coolest thing that being over there and getting to experience a different culture. And uh, the people of Europe were a lot smaller. They, they ate a lot healthier than we do. For sure. But first time we get there and Dal and I sit down, I was like, uh, appetizers it shows like salted almonds or uh assorted uh vegetables i'm like you guys got like chicken wings or like anything like that no it was it was we lost some weight when we were yeah the yeah. Por- portions are much smaller yeah, yeah for they, sure they don't eat as much meat either no. when i was in switzerland i had a hard time with it i was struggling the whole time it's like do you have anything that has like a cow? Did, did you make anything out of a cow? <laughs> yeah. It was it was six months of being hungry, pretty much, <laughs> or six weeks of being hungry. So, um, so you go, you study abroad, come back. What is what does your journey continue on as 
Yeah. So I, um, I started interviewing and I, I realized that dream may not be what I was thinking. So I interviewed at a couple different international opportunity companies and realized you don't get to tell them where you want to go, <laughs> how long you want to be there, who you want to talk to and, um, you know, what services you want to provide. So I realized my autonomy was going to be pretty limited. And so I, I delayed uh, making a decision, went on into grad school. So I, I never really planned on going to grad school and uh, wasn't really a big fan of school. But I, I was able to um, luck into a pretty, pretty unique opportunity. So I, I earned a GA opportunity working for the dean of the business school. And so got to stay in Maryville another year and a half. No, I, I stayed in Maryville extra year, but it wasn't for grad. But so what did grad school look like? What did, so I think there's a lot of people that go into grad school, but what was the mm-hmm. difference between your, your first four years and then grad school? Like what did that transition end up like? So, um, Grad school was, I was expecting it to be very challenging. And um, a lot more, a lot of it was actually participation in class. So our, our professors would just spring something on us. Hey, do a team huddle, come back, present at the end of class on what that is. And um, what was nice about it is we actually had people that would be business owners or actually had ran businesses that would come in and do case studies. And so that, that was nice. I think, um, you know, we started, that started spinning my wheels more towards um, business opportunities. And I think even just helping me understand that um, there's simple fundamentals of growing a business, right? You've got to have, you got to have a product or service and you got to be able to promote it. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, grad school was not some huge challenge. I think uh, a lot more of the responsibility was on the individual to, just get your work done. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is in, in business as a whole. I think there are a lot of people that o- overcomplicate it. I think there's people that go in and I think having a business plan is great. I think you need to know what your costs are. You need to understand those numbers. Mm-hmm. But there's also a point that you have to have a good product. You have to know that the world wants your product. And a lot of times people focus so much on just new customer and new customer and new customer that I think something that you've done a really good job at, and I see that where your eyes on the prize is acquiring talent all the time mm-hmm. to where there's, there's two legs to business and you can be phenomenal at getting new clients, but if you're not good at attracting that new talent to be able to manage that client base all the time, people mm-hmm. fall in business all the time. Yeah. And I think it's something that, you and I had those early conversations. I mean, the early business conversations and it's something that you probably started recognizing really, really early was putting A players at the table changed the game really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think that sometimes at the starting point, I knew when I first started Moss Market Group, I overcomplicated mm-hmm. so much. I thought it was like some crazy equation I was trying to figure out. I'm like, no, you have to provide great service and then get the right people to be able to manage the service. Then you're just building out processes inside mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. But um, 
So what did you go to grad school? Like what was your uh, specific focus in grad school? So it was a uh, master's of business administration. Okay. Yeah. So, so just, just kind of generalized. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Where in that, was it in grad school that you kind of got an idea for, you know, more of what you wanted to do in the professional space or how did that come to? Yeah, no. Um, so I was, I was pretty fortunate that both of my grandfathers were business owners. My father purchased one of those businesses. My uncle purchased the other. And, um, so I grew up doing labor yeah. <laughs> in those businesses, but I was always inspired by the opportunity to grow something, create something. Um, I think I, I always imagined at a higher scale, higher level, you know, of being able to interact and create impact, not just at a local level, but at a much, you know, grander uh, geography. And so I just, I continued to interview and, I, and nothing was feeling right. Yeah. And um, Northwestern Mutual had called on me since my junior year of college and I continued to tell them, no, thank you. I'm not a finance guy. <laughs> I don't like crunching numbers. I really don't like math. And, um, and I'm so lucky that they continue to follow up on me. But literally at career fairs, I would dodge them. I would go out around the table. I'd like, Oh gosh, they're going to see me. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, I said, I'm so lucky that they finally caught me, coerced me into interviewing. And I realized from the outside looking in, it's very different than the inside looking out. Mm -hmm. So once they started talking to me about long-term relationships and, you know, most of our clients would work with us for 43 years, you know, 97% retention of clientele that started sounding pretty intriguing. So no, I actually hadn't considered finance. I, I thought the opposite of it. Mm. And then as I was finishing up grad school, it was one of those decisions like I got to do something. So, um, so I went for it. Nice. Yeah. I, I think one thing we kind of skipped over on was you said your grandparents owned or labor jobs or labor companies and you worked in that. Yep. Do you feel like that gave you a work ethic? Because I feel like a lot of the people we have on here hustled at a really young age. Yeah. So then going into that business profession or starting a company, starting a branch, that's something that a lot of people to run from, but something that doesn't seem to intimidate people that have a hard work ethic. Yeah. I think that with, I'm so lucky, right. When you think about it from that standpoint, you know, my, my dad worked seven days a week. I would go to work with my dad on Saturday and Sunday on occasions. And that's, we, we work together. So that's all I knew. You know, I would, I would get home from school or sports and my dad would come home at eight o'clock at night his, his dinner would be in the microwave and, um, he would inbound phone calls at the kitchen table, um, on the cordless. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, no, the, you know, that he has a dirt contracting business. So I, I specialized in shovel work and <laughs> after maybe like five, 10 years of that was promoted to back co-operator. Um, that's and, right, you're like, I can yeah, do then, way more of the back of the right. and, the, and the climates were never like perfect conditions. <laughs> like when you hire a dirt contractor, it's usually because there's a problem. And so usually that problem is, uh, mud or, <laughs> you know, and so I would bury equipment and, and then my, my, uh, my grandfather started that business, but on the other side of the family, um, was a sawmill. And so, 
Um, my cousin, I have multiple cousins that spent a lot of time in that business. Um, and, um, I didn't work there a lot, but I, I remember some times where I did stack lumber, you know, with earplugs all day, you're pulling a, a board off the grading station and it goes in bin number seven. So just repetitive all day long. So yeah, that kind of, that kind of work, um, you know, teaches you that, um, you know, teaches you that, um, you know, there's in today's worlds, right? Like today's problems are first world problems like that, that there is, um, leaps and bounds. I wake up, even when we have problems today, it's good. You know, it's that, that, that thought process of, oh yeah, I like this because if it was easy, <laughs> right, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah. No, I, I agree with that because that's, uh, we grew up with some land, not near as much as you, but we worked our weekends and that's what we knew. And if we weren't working, we were out doing sports on the weekends, but it's from childhood since we were four up until senior of high school. That's all we knew. And then going into working at the dealership, it was back to seven days a week, six days at work, seventh day cleaning the place. And then we had a side business cleaning cars to make more money. Right. But it's like, we put in the work and then we started this. I remember like it was probably one, maybe two, two, three months after I started. It's like Thursday. Dane's like, dude, we're all good. I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's like, ah, he's like, we can go golf tomorrow. And then I, we have nothing planned for this weekend. I'm like, what am I supposed to do for three days? <laughs> I'm like, bro. Right. So I'm sitting there. I, I'm at the house. I'm like, joy. But download some video games. I'm like, I don't know, but it was something where that was a whole different realm. And now we've since positioned ourselves back into working more. But it's something that I think people that have that work ethic of growing up that way, once that once the real world world hits, it doesn't hit you as hard. It's actually a lot easier than what you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think taking that stuff on with a challenge and taking it on with a understanding, like you said, like we do have first world problems. Like we're not trying to survive every day or majority of us aren't trying to put a roof over our head, food, water, the basics. And you have these problems at work and I see these, I even see business owners that have done like well or okay. And they just like crumble under pressure and it's like, no, you've taken that on to be that person that when those problems come, you're like, I've, I'm ready for them. Yeah. Like, and we talk in the office all the time. And I mean, from the top to the very bottom, the bigger the problem you can solve, the more money you get paid. Mm -hmm. And that is in life. You solve any huge problem, you get paid. Go out there and find a billionaire. If you can solve a really big problem for them, I bet you they'll pay you a lot for it. Mm -hmm. And it's just solving those problems every single day. But having that work ethic to say, hey, this is what the problem is that I identify and this is the the thought process I can put behind it to solve it, to make someone else's life better. Mm -hmm. If that is a business owner, if that's an individual, if, whatever it is. So yeah. I, I think that is a, a huge thing. Yeah, I, you know, and growing up, um, you know, my dad uh, would like I was saying, work seven days a week and then there'd be a random opportunity where we would ever, uh, let's say, go to the lake or whatever that may be. Yeah, we didn't 
we didn't bond like over watching TV. You know, there wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like five o'clock. We turn on the TV at the house, and and um, that's just how that wasn't the way it was for holiday dinners. We waited to have dinner on Thanksgiving until my dad and my grandfather showed up and washed their hands. When they washed their hands, that's when we would all start congregating. And so that um, that was normal, right, in our in our household. And I think that seeing that, seeing that level of dedication and sacrifice um, obviously shaped a lot of my mindset and how I think about things. Yeah. And I think that is something that i mean we watched our dad growing up put in all of it and i mean we saw the highs and we saw the lows and it's when anybody that knows us and what we talk about we're going to talk about the highs we're not going to let the lows define who we are it's those are things that i've looked in my head if i block out i don't those aren't things that i need to remember but it's they're still there but it's that's not learn from those lows you you learn from those but that's not what the world needs to know so it's like Mm -hmm. i look as our childhood, we did get to experience a lot of things that other kids didn't. Mm-hmm. We got to experience a lot of things that kids should never experience from a whole different side of the spectrum too. But those aren't the things that I discuss. The things that we discuss is our dad made great money growing up. We had planes, we had big boats, we had all these things that we got to experience that. But it's also, everyone's like, yeah, I wish, yeah, it's easy being you guys. I'm like, you come put in the work we put in a week at the house. We mowed 20 acres every single week. We did all these things, but it's like you look at how that positions you in life to go take on mm-hmm. what we take on. I fear nothing when it comes to work. Kids nowadays I've, complain about like, they're like, oh, I got to take out the trash. I'm like, <laughs> that's not our a trash was like a quarter mile down the, <laughs> our driveway. And then our dad, like if he was really mad, he's like, you, you're walking, you ain't taking the gator. Yeah. He's like, you take that down. And he's like, we're dead. There's like 12 bags. He's like, I don't care. You, you learn to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but it's just you look at that, like you said, that dedication. We saw what our dad put in to do that. To where I think at that point we didn't understand what we were watching. But it burned into our head at a later point that now I fully understand what I was watching. And I think that changes that kind of business lens moving forward to say this is what has to be done to take step from B to C that most people never get that step or the C to D. So we were very fortunate to see those things. And like you said, our dad was on the phone all the time when he was home. Like if he was at home, he was sitting in his chair, he was on the phone. Yeah. But it's, that's what had to be done to put him at the level that he was at. And I think when you, you then progress into Northwestern Mutual. I want to bring this this back around. We get on tangent about growing up like mm-hmm. nobody's business. But so you get into Northwestern Mutual. What what did that look like from a family dynamic too? Because I feel like coming from a family that is out working with their hands every day and doing that kind of stuff, you come home, you're like, I'm going to be a financial advisor. I'm going into finance, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> what, what, what is that? What is so, that? So, yeah, the family wasn't cheering me on. Yeah. yeah, they're like, what? Who? What are you going to sell? Yeah. Uh, and they were saying things. You know, my mom was like, you know, it's a tough economy. Nobody has money. Oh, my God, you're going to have to sell. You're going to have to sell yourself. And, uh, you know, I think she, be- she believed in me, but she didn't want to see me fail. 
And so, yeah, my parents were not cheering me on. But I think what I realized, too, is those things that you choose to do that are really hard that nobody else wants to do. That's where the big opportunity is. And I think that, you know, when we were in college, we were talking about this earlier, that there were people that were pursuing opportunities that seemed like a sweet deal. Right. Get your per diem. Um, But, you know, the the quote that I can always remember is uh, successful people choose to do what unsuccessful people choose not to do right or unwilling to do. And so, yeah, whenever I thought about the world of finance, I it looked like a big opportunity and I didn't really know anybody else that was having the courage to jump into that and go out and impact and help people. And that was really, you know, that was my goal was how do I, how do I help people? I knew I wanted to work with people. A lot of the places that I interviewed at, I could tell that it would be a very short lived relationship, maybe put a smile on somebody's face today, but sayonara. Right. And so I really liked the opportunity of, um, the financial industry. We're going to be there right alongside our clients, um, from here on out. We're going to be ideally one of the most significant relationships that they've ever had that's going to take them farther, push them farther, encourage them and see it through to the end with, you know, maximum opportunity. So those those kinds of things excited me. And um, I can remember before I went to training, my I'm sitting there in my parents house and I'm reciting my phoning language. (laughs) Hello, my name is Brent Nasri. (laughs) I remember looking up at my mom and she's looking at me like, God help my son. <laughs> and I wasn't even sure at that time if I, if I could figure it out. Look over at your mom. She's like, you're doing great. <laughs> right. She goes, in the room, what am I going to do? Oh yeah. He's not so nothing. He's moving back oh, home. She's like, yeah. Well, she wanted me to live home at home. Yeah. She's like, you know, live at home for six months, save up some money. And I'm like, no, if I'm going to do this, I'm all in. Like, I'm going broke. And and I did. You know, my my first year. <laughs> in my first year, my roommate and I, uh, our rent was eight hundred. So mine was four twenty five and his was three seventy five. And he spotted me twice. How did rent. you get the high, the high side of it? Well, I found the place. He, he got the um, bigger bedroom. <laughs> we won't get into that story. It might have been because I had a girlfriend and uh you know, we something something like that. Yeah. Something I do want to to back up to that I, I think it is really funny when you bring up this statement about going to do the uncomfortable thing. When you're in college, I see it all the time. And we were talking about all these people that they get this job opportunity that short term, it seems really shiny. That's right. And I think too many people in life in general play the short play all the time. And we had this discussion in the office probably on a weekly basis. Yeah about watching the long plays. Mm-hmm. The long plays are the ones that have those huge opportunities in it that I look at a lot of times you're taking a couple steps backwards each day to take the mm-hmm. 30 steps forward that you mm-hmm. need to take. Mm-hmm. But the college students get this these blinders on. They want the best offer. And guess what? These big, huge corporate companies know that they can entice them with $10,000 is going to like they've went through college, they've struggled, they haven't had any money. So this $10,000 seems like the shiniest thing they've ever seen. Yeah. And then there's this company over here that's given them all this runway to go actually make a real career and make probably three, four times as much money. That's right. 
But that initial little grab, that company knows that they're going to get someone and they're going to lock them in in something so much bigger that they're tied in. Well, yeah, and, and people don't know any different. Mm-hmm. So they think that's that's the way to approach it. But anytime somebody's giving you a bunch of freebies, let's say it's a bon- up upfront sign-on or a big fat salary, well, your upside just got diminished. Yeah. So the more freebies there are, generally the less upside. So I, I don't you, want to you would rather them. you'd rather have the zero freebies, all the upside. And that's we talk about in great salespeople. Like I'm I'm somebody like yeah. when you're selling that they give a twenty thousand dollars sign on bonus <laughs> going in the military but it's like you look at a great salesperson you find the greatest salespeople out there they do not want to work on a salary they're going to take as much percentage as they can and residual whatever they can get off the sale it's it's funny when we'll have salespeople come our way and they're like well like we've been working on starting a sales department and one of the guys we that came on, he came the first thing he came in, he goes, I'm not taking a salary, just so you know. I'm like, all right, perfect. I'm talking to the right guy. Yeah. And then we have this other guy come our way and he's like, he goes, I I want X amount salary starting. Mm-hmm. And you're talking to the wrong person. Because yeah. if you think you're getting paid that without doing anything, like yeah. and he's like, I'll take a much smaller cut over here. And I'm like, you literally are telling me that you're just not confident in yourself. Right. That's all you're doing. Because the person's confident in their self and their ability and their skill set that they have is going to take that that upside over here that they're in control of. Yeah, and I think you know I I hear that type of stuff. We interview you know people for our opportunities. We hear that kind of stuff, and I think that most people are lacking perspective, right? When you think about today's world or even college, everybody's cued on things like salary, and so. Um, I think that for me, um, yeah, whenever I began in my in my role, in my my company, I was 100 percent commission and um, I was probably the only person I knew that did that. And I don't know that it was so much from a place of um, that I knew at that time I would have all the upside. But I think that I I, I knew that I would work hard, was coachable. And why wouldn't I bet on myself? Right. You know, why would I bet on somebody else if I could whenever I truly knew that I'd I would do the right thing. I would treat people with respect, I would give them my best shot. And so yeah. Yeah, it was it's funny when I first got in, I was detailing cars at the dealership and I get into sales. And I mean, I thought I was as ready as they come. Like <laughs> I went out, bought a bunch of Dress clothes that didn't fit me. They were way too big. Have you watched I'm, any 1980s <laughs> salesman show? That was yeah. Dane when he first stepped so, on that sales board. I show up and I'm like, I'm, I'm so confident what I'm going to do. Like in my head, like up to this point. And right. my dad's like, do you need any help? Like money wise or anything like that? I'm like, no. I also live at home, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have I'm, nothing to lose. I, 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 I have nothing to pay for. So I. I'm so confident coming out of the gate and sell cars. And I absolutely just fall on my face right out the, out the gate. And I was like, well, like when I answer the phone, I'm like, these people got a lot of questions. I'm like, <laughs> that's not what I went over in the training. Like I watched these, tra- all these training videos and they don't tell me how to do this stuff. And I remember probably my second week there, my dad calls me at 
we have a full sales meeting over the whole dealership and my dad starts playing my phone calls out loud to everyone. They'll humble and anyone really fast. <laughs> you want to talk about that part, that point in my life, I felt about this big. And I was really sitting there like, wow, it's, does it really sound that bad? I was like, that's bad. Likely and, a lot of evidence you're a good listener. Yeah, it was <laughs> listening to the whole thing. I mean, there was not a single thing I was doing correctly. And then we're going over. They asked Toy Keller, you said it was 20 grand. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> but it was just like one of those things that if it, I was once again fortunate that it was a family business. Like my dad wasn't helping me out in it, but I fell on my face and I was like, I couldn't quit because it was my family. Yeah. Because if it probably wasn't, I probably would have walked out and told the, like, cause I had this like ego and I had this confidence that there was no reason that I should have had. And I think getting humbled in sales and having those kind of understanding that no is okay. Yeah. Like, and getting that just repeatedly over and over and over and over just kind of reshapes the way that you think in sales and kind of reformats that. And then also makes it to where you have to learn if you want to ever break that cycle. Mm-hmm. So I think you probably starting off like <laughs> you're like, uh, you were actually like living on your own. At least I was. <laughs> so you're like, I got to make uh, it. Yeah. I mean, I was making $25. <laughs> I was terrible, man. Um, you know, we were taught uh, different scenarios, different situations. And for the most part, a lot of the times whenever I'd hear something new, I I wasn't, I would freeze. <laughs> so, so. Uh, Haven't heard that one yeah, yet. Yeah, <laughs> we jot that one down. Yeah, where's, my no- where's my notes at? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm in my cube when I began, I had like every objection you could ever hear. Yeah. Like, Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Got that one. And I mean, that's the thing about you know helping people doing sales is that you you strive to do the best thing, but you'll make mistakes, right? You've got to you've got to give yourself grace and um and you'll learn from it. You know, I can think of I, I talk to a lot of our guys and I tell them I've made way more mistakes than they have combined. I've, I've learned so many of things not to do, not to say. (laughs) He said that, don't don't say that one. I'm going to put that up on the wall. (laughs) They did not react good to that. (laughs) Hung up immediately. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, I think, I think that um, the best, the best way to learn is to try, right? You've got to swing the bat. You've got to give it your best. And, I think that that's that's probably a problem with a lot of people um, not reaching full potential is they're not putting themselves in a position to uh, to capitalize. They're not putting themselves in a position to fail. And, you know, in the world of finance, too, you know, we we help a lot of people. I mean, I've got we have clients. I'm sure our firm has clients in every single state. And sometimes we have really big opportunities. And so, um, you know, in thinking about that, you, you've got to, you've got to be thinking about, especially in business about what could go right. You know, if you're sitting there consuming yourself on the downsides or, oh my gosh, where you could make a mistake, you're, you're probably going to lose. So, um, I think that over the years, 
you know, as we continue to think of what could go right and the opportunities there, um, you know, generally we'll head in that direction. You're going to, your outcomes are going to be closely related to what you're thinking prior to, you know, actually meeting and facing that. But the big thing is you got to face it. You got to, you got to show up, do your best and, you know, things tend to work out. I think that what business owners build in their head most of the time is what happens. And, and I'm talking that's deep down inside. Like every single day, if you're driving to work and you're thinking every single thing that's going to go wrong, I know business owners that like I've known that have listened to somebody that said the economy was going to tank two years ago. And so they adjust everything business wise and they take their whole entire business when they have all the momentum in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then I've seen people that are just so confident what they're doing and they don't even, their product's not that great. They're just, but it's just that, that vision is so clear in their head that it's like that vision deep down inside that's in your head. If you focus on that every single day, once again, it can be either really good or it could be really bad. That's where you're driving that ship to. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything happens twice. First, <laughs> first in your mind and then you live it out. And you've got to be more powerful than your environment. And so, you know, no matter what's going on, there's always opportunity. And I think in times like 2020 and COVID, fortunately, we didn't own a a restaurant. Fortunately, we didn't own a gym or a bar where, you know, you you were literally fighting the city you know, over opening your doors. Um, but we continue to know that, man, people need us. So although there was a ton of uncertainty, you know, you flip on the TV, it seemed very spooky. Um, We had a record year in a year that was very challenging for most people. And that was that was hard for us to verbalize and put it out there. Of Like we just had a record year in a time that um, uh, was pretty spooky for most people. But we just kept going. We kept living forward, living out our vision. And um, yeah, you've got to. Most people are not going to outperform um, their vision, right? So you're going to, you're just not going to default, you know, um, have success. So you've got to have that vision out there. And then, you know, you just, you align all of your actions, your decisions, your moves, your people to continue making progress towards that. And, And in 2019, when I became managing director, we put out some ambitious goals for what we would do in 2023. And there was three ambitious goals. And it's pretty wild as we wrapped up our year, we had achieved all three. And it was, you know, I don't don't know what that is, right? And, you know, I think that when you have that ambitious goal, you've got to truly believe it's in there for a reason, right? And and that, that reason, uh, you know, whatever that may be, if God put that in you or whoever that is, you know, you've got to pursue it. Right. I think one of the biggest things that I see is that most people are not chasing their full potential. They're just by default getting comfortable and saying, oh, I don't know that it's me. No, we are all, you know, here for a reason and uh, we all have potential. I think more people need to be chasing that. I, I think you touched on something in there, too when you talk about all the opportunities that we have every day. And I mean, I've, I was watching a video on like the red car theory that you drive to work, you get there and they ask you how many red cars did you see on your way in? You're like, I don't know, like five. And then the next day they say, 
Now come in and they'll tell you that they'll give you a hundred dollars per red car you see. <laughs> you come in, you're like, I saw 120 of them on the way in, but you right. looked for them. Right. It's the same way of looking for opportunities every day and what you're doing. Yeah. And I think there's certain people that have their eyes open to that opportunity vision day over day over day yeah. and things just tend to align. And it's like, I hate when people are like, they're always trying to throw something at what the economy is doing. Mm -hmm. There's the worst times in the world where millionaires were made, but they just mm -hmm. saw different opportunities in those. They looked at the world in a different lens to find opportunities that there's always opp opportunities presented in front of you. You just have to be able to open up your eyes to see them. Mm -hmm. And I think too many times in business and life and whatever it is, people are, their brains are trained to look at the negative that they, they watch the news all the time. They put all these just negative things into their head that if you're watching the news every single day and they're telling you that the economy's down, you can't make money, you can't do this. And every night you're going to bed and you're like, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Right. Or you'll buy into that story. You buy into that narrative or you say, instead of doing that every night, I'm going to read on books of successful people That's right. that I build that narrative in my head mm -hmm. instead. Bingo. I think most people buy into narratives that are not productive, yep. right? Yep. You look at our society today, yep. mo most people are going to take the easy route. They're going to say, oh, it's tough times. Yeah. And um, it's an excuse to get out. Yeah. I think, you know, with, you know, we're, we're probably at a young age, adolescent or a young professional age. We're hoping for opportunity. We're hoping for things to work out. I think over time, as you, you mature, you realize you, you create your own opportunities, right? Opportunities don't just, you know, my, my phone doesn't blow off the hook <laughs> and somebody say, you know what? We have a hundred million dollars that we're looking to, th that we have no idea what to do with. Um, That'd be a we, nice phone call though. Yeah. You know, we <laughs> still waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> we, so we, we, we seek out the opportunity. We go find it. And, and I think in business, if you're, if you're thinking that it's just going to come to you, yeah, good luck, right? Good luck. And you could probably have a good living. You know, you might probably going to have some stress. It's probably going to be feast and famine in years like 2020. You're probably going to panic. But I think as for those that are thinking beyond that, thinking uh, from a, from a, uh, you know, a vision of impact and, and truly realizing, you know, in business, you're helping people, you know, shame on you. If you're not going for it, you're not truly trying to seek out potential and help people. That's the way I, we've talked about it. And I think a lot of us have is like, we're all at an age of, we can put it all on the line. Like we talked about it, I think three days ago, it's like, what's well, the worst case scenario? We run that scenario through our head work. That is better than a lot of people. And that's if everything, like tomorrow something happens and it's just like, it's all gone. But, or what do we have to lose? It's like, we can yeah. ride this out and push it as hard as we want, as far as we want. And the upsides are a lot better than what we can even imagine. But it's like you said, helping people out, doing the right thing day yeah. over day. And the repetition in that is... Well, one, it, the repetition is, I think people forget if you, after your first 10 phone calls, you're like, I think we're done here. Well, <laughs> it's just hitting that day over day. And then <laughs> sitting there, it's like, if we keep doing this, 
it becomes a number game. You work down the line and then you're like, yeah, this is the right move. We made the right plan. People are so easy to accept those excuses the second that they hop, mm-hmm. pop in their head. Mm-hmm. So like if they're doing something hard and you know, their subconscious mind throws an excuse in their head, it's like, yeah, there, there's my out. It's like people are subconsciously looking for it. So they mm-hmm. automatically accept it as soon as it pops in their head. And then on what you were talking about, Drew, I think that's also takes a lot of seeing a bigger vision, uh, kind of like you were talking about mm-hmm. as well, Brent, um, and being tied and bought into something like that makes it a lot easier to make those sacrifices. Mm-hmm. But you have to look for that opportunity and be willing to see that vision, too, because I think a lot of people hear those grand visions of other people and and talk about it and think, oh yeah, yeah, right. Or like, you know, good luck or, you know, that, that doesn't really happen in real life. And it's like, well, if you tell yourself it's not going to, then of course it's not, but you have to be open to accepting it and go along with it. I'm sure agree with that. So let's jump into a little bit of the financial side. What the, what you actually do day in and day out. Buy Dogecoin, sell Dogecoin. <laughs> I don't know yep. if you guys heard of Bitcoin. <laughs> Trey wow. has a TikTok for financial advising. <laughs> Buy high, sell low. Uh, <laughs> so in that side, I know that we're kind of touching on it. Like in the beginning, you're making calls, you're selling, you're doing this. But it's like also you've built something way bigger than just being a sales guy. Like you're way past that. I mean – we uh one of the recent reels that went out yeah of course we watch wolf of wall street every day day. like most people i think think financial advisor they think like wolf of wall street these guys are in selling penny stocks like but it's you guys are taking actually i don't even want to say i know what you guys are doing because i don't i went explain what it is i come in off the street what does it look like partnering with northwestern mutual if you guys are going to help me with my finances yeah so we're, we're living in a world today where life is happening faster than ever before, right? There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of media outlets saying the world is coming to an end. And, and there's a lot of information out there today too, right? So it's very hard as a consumer to decipher what is really going on. There's tons of information, right? And most people truly want to do well when it comes to their money. But the problem is most people are stuck on the treadmill of life. Life is busy, right? And when it comes to money, it's very easy to procrastinate, right? It's not a red alert thing today. When you think about people that go to the doctor, it's a red alert today. (laughs) I got to go to the doctor. But when we think about the predisposition of people can, Uh, in society. Most people feel like retirement is so far down the road that it's, there's not enough cognitive dissonance to be like, I got to do something about it. Right. Most people don't wake up today going, I could get hit by a Mack truck right today, today. And That's so, how actually I think every morning. Every <laughs> I will say Dane's used that analogy. <laughs> if, you, if you ask like most everyone around me, like, I literally play the analogy of like today's the last day and I'm good with living up to right this moment. Yeah. So, so when we think about that, it takes a very courageous person to prompt a conversation of 
uh, financial planning, right? And I think when when we think about financial planning, most people have great hopes, dreams, but very few people have put it on paper and mapped it out, right? You know, Harvard did a study years ago that said very it's like 5% of people have written goals and that 5% accomplishes more than the other 95% combined. So I feel incredibly empowered to pull people off the ro- roller coaster of life. My target market is business owners that are revenueing 10 to $250 million. These are people that are very busy, <laughs> right? They have competing priorities. So we pull them off the roller coaster of life and we set them down and think out what is meaningful to them five, 10, 20 years down the road. And so then we create those goals and then we create a roadmap of success towards that. The roadmap ideally is getting there with the least amount of friction, the most amount of efficiency. Frictions in the financial world would be taxes, unnecessary taxes, unnecessary costs, unnecessary volatility, unnecessary complexity, right? So I love brainstorming on the behalf of business owners of how do we get there with maximum efficiency? We're not CPAs, but we are constantly brainstorming on the behalf of how can we mitigate through overall tax exposure? How can we push off tax triggers? And the list goes on. And so um, in thinking about that, um, you know, it's all coupled with a plan. A plan is best because we're able to begin with the end in mind, right? It's easy through your day-to-day or month-to-month or week-to-week to try this, try that, but a plan's going to continue to get you there on point, right? Would we ever take off in a jet plane and go, let's see where it takes us. <laughs> let's just see where we end up, <laughs> right? What's what's the pilot got planned for us? Right, today? right. I mean, we it would, might be kind of fun. We'd never <laughs> just like take off and go, let's see how far we can go, right? You always have a destination. So in financial planning, it's always making those decisions to get there most efficiently. Now, in my experience in working with business owners, goals and situations change over time. So we're constantly maneuvering the ship to be on the most efficient course. Like I was saying, we're not CPAs, but there's a lot going on in the world, if you hadn't noticed. So $33 trillion <laughs> federal <laughs> deficit. Uh, we're at all-time low historic tax rates. We got the Tax Cut and Job Act that's looking to end here at the end of 2025. It's going to go back to pre-Trump in 2026. So that's going to knock out things like you know, the qualified business income deduction. The tax rates are going to go back to the you know, 39.6 at the highest marginal tax rate. So we're, we're constantly brainstorming of what are things that we can be doing today that can continue to position us well 10, 20, 30 years. A lot of people think about what's best for me right here, right now, but we want to constantly be thinking about, you know, what's best for you 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And not a lot of business owners or clients that we're meeting with are having conversations like that. A lot of their advisors, their CPAs are saying, here's what you can do right now. And that's just based on what we know today. And I think that that's a cop out. We truly want to be thinking, okay, well, what do we know what's going on in the world today? Well, we've got a $34 trillion, trillion dollar deficit. Do we think taxes are going down? I don't. I don't right? think that'll ever happen. If taxes go down, that'll be a miracle. I'll have a party if it does. 
big party. Everyone's invited. <laughs> With all of our free tax money we <laughs> <Yeah>. just got. <laughs> and I think with the way that you do that, I think there's a, we talk about it in the office all the time, but I hate when people come to me just with ideas or just some five-year plan. I don't even want to say plan, a five-year idea of something way out there that you have to put a roadmap in front of you to get there. And it's the same thing that we talk about that we're doing a fitness challenge in, in the company that it's like, and there's certain people that have what they do every single day and you see them just knocking down to where they're going, but they have this roadmap in front of them. Ricky. But it's like, then you have these people that aren't doing anything that they're just shotgun and approach at it. And then they're not getting the results they're looking for. Yeah. So it's the same thing on anything that you do in life. And I tell people, if you start a business and we meet with so many business owners, we have a hundred plus companies we work with and it, we'll, we'll sit with someone and they're like, well, I want to do this in five years. So I'm like, well, how do you get there? I don't know. That's like if I came to you and say, I want $10 million in the bank in five years. You'd be like, okay, like, how do you get there? I don't know. That's just what I want. Like, you have to be able to put that actionable plan in mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Of this is what has to happen yearly, monthly, weekly, daily to then get you to that end goal. Yeah. And I think with that clarity, most people then perform to that level. Most people do not under or overperform where they need to be, right? So I think that it's a huge gift, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in financial planning, to help people have that uh, that clarity. It may give them sticker shock of what needs to happen, but but the truth is real. And you know, you you don't just retire, right? You don't just have ten million in the bank. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. It takes strategy. It takes discipline. It takes day in and day out. In the world of money, a lot of the times too, whenever we're thinking about helping people grow big money, these last few years have been challenging with a lot of the, um, a lot of the things that have happened with what would you say, uh, Bitcoin <laughs> and Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, yeah, I I AMC made a lot stock. and lost a lot. Right. I know a lot of people that. Actually, I don't think I know anyone that lost money on AMC. A lot of people made a lot of money. <laughs> but a lot of people I do know lost a lot that bought in late. But it's it's about the planning of buying in at the right time on the right the, product, the, essentially. The yeah, too, and that, you're talking about the one winner of 100, where right. people try to do the same thing with 99 others. That they all lost their asses on. No, I need that nine thousand like, percent growth. But the one that hits 4%. and it, it does win, then that's what makes public headlines everywhere. Yeah, to where it's like you also have to understand. Like, I wasn't somebody that threw a bunch of money at AMC, but it's like you saw people that were like they hit AMC, then all of a sudden they were a financial advisor. They're telling everyone yeah. how to spend all their money. They're doing all this stuff. Like you got to invest in this. I already know the next one that's coming. And then they talk five of their friends into investing in some other stock that tanks in four days. And then they just lost their friends a bunch of money. And they're like, well, I don't know what happened, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's sad. It, right? it is. When you think about because it's not. <laughs> I mean, we can, we can laugh about it for younger guys. But what's sad is there's 55, 65-year-olds that were behind on retirement that took all – all of their life savings and threw it into something like Bitcoin when it was at $60,000 a share and they lost it all. Right. That, that is the tragedy, 
right, of the business. Because in today's world, the markets are not the same as 50 years ago. 50 years ago, you had to read the Wall Street Journal and you say, <laughs> Microsoft, that looks good. Call up my broker, buy stock. Nowadays, people are on the app. And we have 13-year-olds at school on their bathroom breaks trading stocks. I'm so, glad that 13 year olds are getting into something like that. <laughs> but, Maybe it's a little bit more productive. Back but. in the day, didn't you have to have X amount to essentially buy stock? It wasn't for everyone. Yeah, you had to be able to purchase the stock. Nowadays, you can you can purchase mutual funds at a very small rate. Yeah, you can yeah. buy slivers of stock at a very Partials. small rate. Yeah, partials. But yeah, that's a that's a big thing. Is that wealth is built um, foundationally? Wealth is built. Uh, systematically there's not it's not a flash in the pan and i think that for the younger generations they're challenged because they see of some of these hits or they see on instagram you know the other the other guys driving the lamborghini but they don't realize their dad had gifted them that money and um yeah when it comes to wealth you got to build it properly it's it's not a it's not an overnight thing you've got to be thinking long term like what you were talking about the 10 to 20 years and as long as you can continue to think about that, you can go far. I, I did try getting my dad to give me uh, two grand when uh, Bitcoin was at $200. My buddy's like, dude, you need to buy this. And he's like, at the end of the semester, he's like, I'm reading a lot of stuff. He's like, it's going to go big. And I was like, I'm like, dad, we need to invest this like my buddy did. And it was like maybe 130 when he put it in. I'm like, dad, I, I just need two grand. I'm like, let me do this. I'm like, if not, I'll figure out a way to pay you back. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had no way to pay him back. Zero. I, I would have figured it out. But into the semester, uh, this was 2015. No, 2016. It went from about $130 up to $15,000. And in the, semester, in the semester, my buddy put in three grand, cashed out at $95,000. I was like, and I was sitting there, and my dad's like, at the end of the semester, he's like, you know what? He's like, I'll give you that money. I'm like, my buddy just cashed out by himself a new car. I'm like, well, that. Wow. But That's a- then looking back at it now, I'm like, even if I left that in at that point where that 200 would have been 10 coins, that would right now, even at its low, would have been 410,000. We're looking at the long term. I probably would have cashed out right then, not looking at the long play. We're. But it's, I mean, anything that you look at stock wise, you can go back and say, I would have bought Apple stock. And mm-hmm. I mean, when I was six years old, I should have been mm-hmm. buying Apple stock. Right. Like anything that it's going to be 10 years from now, we're going to say, we wish we'd go back mm-hmm. to 2024 and buy all these stocks that yeah. there's always going to be winners at some point that mm-hmm. somebody says, I should have bought, I should have done this. I should have done this. There's always going to be, but there's also going to be the, the guy in the room that says, I never wavered and I did it. I didn't even think twice about it and I did it. Like I called Brent and I did it. <laughs> but it's like yeah, the, you, you have those things that like I'd be the person that like I don't I don't know how that works. If somebody works with you, is that something when they're how do you diversify money actually with a portfolio? So I love that you asked that question because wealth is not built through a single bullet. Yep. Right. We're not we're not going Okay, over the next six, sniper the rifle. next, yeah, the next, the next twelve to six months, you're going bigger, going over. Right, right. <laughs> oh, missed. <laughs> you're done. Yeah, 
No, well, you, you want to be diversified. Yeah. And uh, it, it all, uh, I want to come back to that. I, I met with a guy at 90 Bitcoin. So it got up to, you know, he, he got up to 60,000. He's got five, six million. And we advised, hedge your bets, sell half, take that, pay for the capital gains. And by the time you're 50, probably never have to work again. And um, he kept believing and he kept saying, yeah, but Bitcoin will go to a hundred thousand. Let it ride. And yeah. And so it was pretty, it was, it was a big lunch all day. Yeah. I was a big concern just watching it like, oh, got to 70. He's like, maybe this dude's right. So when you think about diversification, that, that, um, that means a lot of different things. Diversification of time. So I think everybody should have short term money midterm money and long-term money. So your short-term money, that's your zero to two-year money. That's your opportunities and your emergencies. Cash is king. You want to keep that cash. You can strike while the iron's hot. But the problem with cash is it's highly inefficient and it's actually taxable. So when we start thinking about growing that money, we want to be looking to mid and long-term. And so we're going to start exploring things like funds and even beyond that, looking at tax deferred accounts. One of the biggest pain points in growing money is taxes. And for people that are growing a lot of money, taxes can be one of the biggest expenses. So the number one best thing that you want in growing money long term is an environment that you can grow and compound money annually without taxes. Now, the trick there is most of those environments, you know, are going to be qualified plans where you have to leave the money in until you're 59 and a half but you're getting that tax deferral. So that's from a tax perspective. So we talk time horizon, tax deferral. The other piece would just be um, when it comes to money, there's no golden bullet on an asset class. So asset classes, there are nine. You're going to think large American corporations, that's going to be your S&P 500, the 500 largest corporations. You're going to think mid cap, medium sized domestic companies, small cap, all the way down through international developed, emerging markets, commodities, real estate funds, fixed income, and cash. So they've all performed over the board. Winners become losers. Losers become winners. Who would have guessed in 2008 that real estate would have dropped 30%? Not a lot of people called that shot. So it's very important to have a small percentage in each asset class, and that's ultimately going to build a diversified portfolio that over time helps you get there to the end zone or the end goal with the least amount of ups and downs. So I know you going over that a lot of people, I think have a hard time where I'm going to use Robinhood for instance, you can check your stock daily. Yeah. Is that, how do you report or how is the reporting done for how stocks perform over those is that like a yearly meeting a five-year meeting 10-year meeting on like how stuff's performing or how's that go with our clients yeah 10-year meetings that's it put <laughs> money with them too i don't get tired for 10 yeah years. no I'm we just turn 30 i'll talk to you about 40 yeah we just tell people to give us a call at retirement i'll see you look how you retired ah did it go too hot you need to work 20 more years <laughs> i think mean, yeah, no retirement yeah i think all of our clients have uh different needs and um, I think a, a great relationship when it comes to talking money 
um, is is an ongoing relationship, right? This isn't just a a send me my report in the mail. Um, I think the best relationships we're able to continue to reconnect on the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing and is that appropriate for all that's going on in the world. So we're constantly reevaluating, making changes, and um, yeah, I think for um, some of our clients over time, they're like, just give us a thumbs up. And then some of our clients were having more of an active engagement with them. And um, whether that be a phone call, virtual meeting or an in-person, you know, we have clients all over the country. So um, I, uh, when I began in the business, I truly believe that for me to become a trusted advisor, I needed to be there sitting here at the kitchen table late at night. And then I, I quickly realized over time that people are not necessarily looking for you to be there, but they're looking, you know, to understand that they can trust you, you know, your stuff. And so, um, a lot of our meetings today, actually, um, especially for our out of state clients are virtual. Yeah. So when you have a client, like when I was off of a very diverse profile and say we've, we're doing all these different things with Mike. Do, does the person working with you have a choice if I say, hey, I want to play aggressively? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, get aggressive with the money, but I, I want the, the big wins. Or are you like, hey, I advise you not to do that. That's my position here. I advise you that you take X amount, you put it towards the safer play over here. You put X amount to medium play. You put more towards high risk or how does that conversation look when you're talking to people? I think it depends on their, their profile. You know, is this somebody that has, um, in, in a function of time horizon, right? If they're 65 years old and they're saying, Hey, we want to take all of our money and throw it on black. Probably not taking that order. Right. So, um, yeah. And thinking about, um, how we would invest, there's um, a lot of different ways we take into consideration if they have, you know, we, we've got philosophies. Generally, our philosophies are tried and true. They've, you know, they're from a function of the industry that's been intact for many, many years. And so um, in thinking about that, I kind of forgot where the hell your question was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, just sorry. in there. That, yeah. Like what? No, just if, if that is a, which you answered in the fact that you guys have your tried and true like process. And if I come in and I say, Hey, I want to be crazy. Aggressive, oh yeah. Yeah. Say, yeah. Okay. We're yeah. not betting all black. That's a terrible idea. I yeah. want to be involved with that. Oh yeah. Go down the casino yeah. and throw it on black and see what happens. Yeah. Come see me if you hit. So <laughs> I, I would say, are they on a fixed income or do they have unlimited upside? Are they a business owner? Continually, I'm going to reinforce that a business owner has their greatest rate of return right within their business, right? So most businesses are home run opportunities. And, and I think about some of our most successful clients, they're achieving great rates of return in their business. You know, whether that be private equity, whether that be um, whatever that may be, you know, their margins are typically attractive. And so we're not saying, hey, we're going to beat that. Um, But we look at that as the home run money. And then another segment of wealth could be the aggressive bucket. And then the aggressive bucket could be 
equity driven type portfolios. And so let's say in the business, we're achieving 20% margins, 30, maybe 40. Um, well, are we really going to beat that year in and year out in the market? No. Right. So in the, uh, in the aggressive bucket, you know, we're, we're chasing market returns. So if the, if the business is doing 20, 30, 40% returns, why would we then take a chip off the table to go over here and perhaps watch it vanish? Right. So most business owners are not coming to us saying, Hey, I need you to beat returns that I'm achieving in my business to then potentially watch it vanish. But most business owners are saying, I think we got something good going on, but if we're to take chips off the table, where can we put those that have a decent rate of return? So it's more about return of principle versus rate of return. And so we explore those ideas, um, but everybody's in a different situation. Yeah. Uh, got a question, a couple questions for you at the end, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, if you could give one word or like one piece of financial advice to people, like I feel like people listening through financial advisor, you're here, you've done well for yourself. If you could give somebody just one word of financial advice, if they have a financial advisor, if they don't, whatever they're doing in their daily lives, what would that be? Create a goal, get clear on your budget. You got to know what's coming in and out, right? So once you got the goal, you're clear, clear on your budget, create a plan, and then automate it. So one of the biggest struggles that most people have in building wealth or building money for goals is they do not automate it. So for me, when I got started in the business, I remember I was, I was told to automate and I wasn't certain uh, what the upcoming months could look like. But as soon as I started that, you're able to build upon it. So the big thing is um, most people, most of our wealthy clients, they've automated their wealth, right? It's paying yourself first. If, you, if it comes down to you writing a check when, are you, when you think it's the right time, it won't happen, right? If you, if you go, well, I'll just wait until the end of the year, it won't happen. You'll negotiate with yourself. You'll go, I don't know. I think I want to go to Mexico, right? Or you'll find yourself on doing whatever. So you've got to automate it. So paying yourself first is one of the biggest things you can do. And then you just keep ratcheting it up. You ratchet it up year after year. You grit your teeth and you're like, I don't know if I can make this happen. And then you make it happen, right? At first, you, you, you're you concerned. Can I make this payment to my future self? Am I paying my future self first? And then in a year from now, you're doing better. You turn it up more. You just keep keep turning it up more. And I would say that's probably my biggest piece of advice is it's not a flash in the pan. That's not how you build wealth. It's not Dogecoin. It's not Shiba. It's not AMC. It's putting money away on a consistent basis and allowing compounded interest to go to work. And in 10, 20, 30 years from now, you look back and you go, holy cow. I'm a I, I can't <laughs> I can't believe I put away that much money because then your money is growing on top of money. And um, and I think that's one of the biggest struggles facing young Americans is they're not forcing themselves to do it at a younger age. They keep waiting. They keep thinking, I'll make more money and then I'll do it. I'll, I'll eventually get to six figures and then I'll do it. 
No, you got to do it when you're making 30 grand, you know, carve out 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month. If you can't save money when you're making 40 grand, you won't save money when you're making 100 grand. And some of the clients that we meet with at times, you know, I've seen people making a million dollars a year. We go through the itemized budget and they can't save a thousand bucks a month. We have clients that are making 50,000 a month, saving more than that. Right. So you you can become wealthy and still not be making a tremendous amount of money. Um, but I think most people think that it's a bit of a fallacy. They think they've got to be making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you don't. I think when you talk about anim- or automating something like something that would kind of like rings home to me, which this was one of the conversations I was having with Madison was like. It's not a lot of money, but it was something when I started MMG, I'm like, I'm just going to throw like $100 a month into this account. I'm like, and I'll just buy stocks with it. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm like, I'm just going to buy something. But it's just auto pulls, pulls $25 on yeah. every Friday. Day trader. And, day trader day. But it was like one of those things and I've never even really talked to her about it. It was just something that started when I started MMG, which MMG has been here for three and a half years. And she's like, well, how much money you have in that account? I was like, I got almost 12 grand in there that I'm like, I just rather move it over. Somebody that knows what they're doing. But she's like, don't you have like $25 a week? People I'm like, it's weird how fast it like yeah. actually compounds. Like yeah. something that I never even really look at. I oh, jump in God. there once in a while just to like buy something with it. But it's like, that's just an auto pull that $25. I mean, we spend that at a gas station getting... Like inside the gas station, not yeah. even filling yeah, up the not car. Even filling up a vehicle. Yeah. It's crazy. So, oh, it is crazy. So we we helped uh, a couple older advisors retire from our firm. One of those guys, um, we took on some of his clients and this lady called in. She wanted to cash out her plan. And I said, it's your money. You can do whatever you want, but let me let me look at it. And, and I called her back and I said, do you, I just want to share this with you. So it, her plan had been in motion for 52 years. And I said, for every dollar you're putting in, it's growing by $6. <laughs> like we can't replicate this 52 years of compounding. And, and it was set up when she was a baby. So her dad had set it up and it was just like, you can cash it out, but I would never do that. In a million years, compounded interest is really working in her favor, and uh, she, you know, she didn't cash it out, and then she became a great client. Um, but wealth takes time; it it truly takes time. Even those that you may see on social media, you may see that appear to be killing it, they're on the same journey, right? They're 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 trying to build, they're trying to grow, and um, and what I've found over the years is that those that you know, aren't saying, oh my God, the, the market's going to go to zero. I can think of so many guys, probably five to 10 different people that I respect over the years that have continued to say, we're going to wait. We're going to wait until it goes to zero before we get started. And what are they still doing? Waiting, right? They're still waiting while a lot of our other clients are building wealth. Right. We've been gaining traction. We've been dollar cost averaging. We've been planning for the future. And so that's that's one of the biggest things is that you just got to get started. One of the hardest parts about anything in life, whether it be a fitness journey, a wealth journey, uh, you got to start. You just got to start. 
And the so other thing one, too that one uh, thing I was very fortunate for Dane is 2019 rolls around. There's this house that comes available, and this is where it, where is you say just do it. Dane's like, hey, you should buy this house, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, I just started making real money. I'm like, he literally says, I'm gonna think about it this week. I'm like, I'm gonna think about it this week. And Dane's like, if you don't, I'm gonna buy it and you're gonna rip for me. <laughs> I'm like. He goes, why would I do that? I'm like, well, somebody's buying a house. You're buying a house or I'm buying a house. One of the two. So I said there, I was like, I call an Ella or I look at the house Friday. I call an Ella Saturday. I sign my first set of papers for uh, Sunday. I'm like, looks like I'm buying a house. Samantha's like, are we, bu-? she's like, are we going to talk about it? I'm like, we're buying this house. Yeah. And end up bought it. I think we moved in like maybe two weeks later. All moved in and everything. I was like, Moved in, had $78. So cleared out my yep. set, cleared out everything. I'm Financial wizard, like I was telling you. <laughs> but, and then uh, three months later, COVID hits, life shuts down. I'm like, we own a house. <laughs> Don't have any furniture. I'm like, we have a bed and two couches for a uh, full house. I was like, babe, I'm not going to say I made the wrong move, but I'm like, we may have made the wrong move. We figured it out. And now the equity we made in our house in three and a half years Mm -hmm. is uh, substantial. Yeah. And that's where people right now, I've read some deals where- You should have waited. You should have waited because everyone's- I know. I should have waited until right now. They say people that bought from December last year to February of this year are going to be looked at the same as people buying pre-COVID with Mm -hmm. interest rates dropping and housing market going back up. Mm -hmm. But like I said, it's all speculation. Until something actually happens. Yeah. You know, I, I've got strong beliefs that interest rates are going to eventually go down. They're not going up. And then with that, appreciation is going to go up. My first house I bought was 55000 bucks, And I moved into that sucker. <laughs> <laughs> I put a window unit in. It was a foreclosure. Yeah, I put a, <laughs> put a window unit in. I was in the hood. Yeah, 48th and Euclid. Right there, I was between 71 Highway and uh, Paseo High School. Yeah. Yeah, baby. <laughs> I, told, I told everybody, yeah, right by uh, Plaza. <laughs> yeah, right man. on the Plaza. Yeah, that was the first house I bought. And, uh, Good area. You know, yeah, it was normal to have guns in every room of the house where I grew up, so why not do that there? Yeah. And, now uh, they're for... for <laughs> I just might have to use you know, it. I like, I like adrenaline. Yeah. You know, I... I had some drill. You guys don't wake up at 2 a.m. every morning? That's weird. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that when you – properties are going to continue to go up in value. I mean, if you're looking at a condo, apartments, houses, farms, eventually uh, rates are going to go down. And so when you think about that, money is going to become cheaper. More buyers are going to come to the table. But that house I bought – down there it was fifty five grand. Lived there for five years. Sold it for two fifteen. You know, so sometimes that's a good look. you know it's one of those things of like if you're willing to do what others are unwilling to do, it generally plays out. Yeah. For those that want to move into the pristine, ready to go, like polished place, take shots at me. <laughs> I mean, you know, my, I'm. Not- my, the house is only two years old. I'm not saying it was, they just moved in, moved out pretty quick. Yeah, but the outside the housing market, one thing I 
I also do want to touch on with a, as dealing with a financial advisor. I think a lot of people think when they give you guys money that it's just gone. That I have a hundred grand in the bank, I give it to you, I'll never see that hundred grand again. Like that is still your money. Like that is still money that is just being utilized differently to still go to work for you. So I think I tell people all the time, like you take a hundred grand, you set it in your you're safe at home, you have it in cash, or you set it in your savings account at the, the bank. You say, I have to have a hundred grand there, but 9% loss a year on inflation, pretty much like you're just letting that, that money's losing year over year to where that's where I think there's just a misconception when people have money, have it with somebody that makes it money instead of it losing. Yeah. Is that correct. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think it's hard for a lot of people to imagine letting go of their hard work hard-earned money to let somebody else manage it and i get it you know i i think about my grandfather that started a sawmill and he had bad financial advice and that turned into a much bigger problem and um there was a professional that was giving advice that wasn't legitimate so i know the pain of then having to backtrack on all of that because then it became my uncle's business and both of them were exposed to that pain. And so I think that a lot of business owners or people, they, they think of, you know, the money I can best manage it myself, but you got to find somebody that you believe in, you trust somebody that you feel like you can work with long-term that, you know, you could build that together. And I think that, um, you know, when it comes to money, you got to have a high level of trust. You got to be working with somebody that you want to have a conversation with routinely, um, or, you know, Every impromptu. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I think that it needs to be a relationship can't be in tra- transaction. And I think that's where people go wrong. They, d- they don't build to what their potential is or they, um, when it's a transaction, it's got to be somebody that you feel like you can continue to evolve. You can continue to build with. And I see that, you know, whenever years ago, robo advisors came out and I, I can remember people asking me, is that going to challenge, challenge our industry? And I said, absolutely not. You know, people worked way too hard for their money to then just give it to a computer. Like they need somebody that they can work with ongoing to continue to evaluate of uh, what's happening. Mm-hmm. What do we need to be thinking about? How does inflation affect this? How does uh, Hamas, you know, attacking Israel affect this? Things like that that um, are very important. And so I found over the years that those that achiever, that are achieving financial goals are generally working with somebody versus trying to DIY. Yeah. Yeah. So, so say an individual comes off the street to your branch. Is there a minimum that people have to invest a month to get started investing? It's a great question. So I inter- so once I finally realized that I wanted to explore the financial industry, I did interview at a few different companies, and there were companies. There's companies out there that you you must invest half a million or a million dollars. And when I began, I didn't. I didn't know anybody that had that kind of money. 
Right, I'm buying so, a $50,000 crib. <laughs> so, yeah. I was paying. My money's tied up, man. I was paying $425 a month in rent. <laughs> so, uh, what I what I really loved is with our company, we could help people at 50 bucks a month all the way up to $100 million a month. Okay. So, um, you know, our company specializes in the plans that the Fortune 100 companies do with us. Uh, but what I loved is whenever I got started, I could help people at a very small level mm-hmm. get started. And so, yeah, we really don't have a minimum. I think it's more of a, a function of do they have a desire to be disciplined? Do they have a desire to pay themselves first? And do they want to be thinking about things long term? Mm-hmm. You know, we're happy to help people. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. That's what I, I know a yeah. lot of people that have like acorn. That's just like a direct pull, but I'm saying I, if it's better managed elsewhere, like that's something where I think a lot of people just don't know there's those avenues for minimums of that sort. Yeah. Yeah. I think acorn is nice because it's automatic, but therefore it leaves it up to you, the inexperienced person to decide, okay, now, do we cash it out? What do we do? I think that a financial advisor ideally is then helping you understand, okay, um, what is the right tactic strategy beyond that, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, we definitely talked finances all night. Yeah. This was something I knew was going to be very easy to talk about. Uh, at the end of each podcast, I like to ask the final question of if you could go back to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? It's always the most loaded question for them. Man, if I was 20, I wish I would have told myself to um, forget the popular belief, forget the in crowd, forget the um, the votes, forget um, what people are saying, right? Because what people are saying is based on their own beliefs. And I think that what I wish I would have done at that age is surrounded myself with people far beyond me. I can think at 20 years old, a couple people I aspire to be like, but I wish I would have had 10 or 20 people that I could have been consulting with. And I, we all, you know, at 20 years old, you pretty limited in your thinking. So yeah, I, I can think of a couple key people. I wish I would have expanded that far beyond. I wish I would have had sought people that would have pushed me. I wish I would have sought people that would have said, um, time is of the essence. It's go time. You're a man. You're 20, right? It's not time to be uh, enjoying life, but it's time to be building your future Mm. life. Um, And I think that, you know, my dad probably helped me with that. I remember whenever I went on to grad school, he was like, you're wasting time. You need to be getting getting started. And, uh, but I wish I would have been able to find those people or had those people mentor me that were far beyond to help me expand my vision. Um, I think that's where I'm at today is, you know, I, I, I want to help people expand their thinking. I want to help them uh, ultimately inspire them to go far beyond what maybe their family, their friends uh, said was possible. And so I wish I would have sought out those kind of people at that, at that age. It would have sped things up. I probably would have had less self-defeating thinking. I would have had less um, 
questioning around how big are opportunities. And so, um, yeah, 20 years old, just realizing at that age, you could start building an empire, right? In today's world, you, you don't have to wait till you're 30. You don't have to wait until you're 40. It's not a function of your age. It's a function of, will you do what you say you'll do? Do you know, do you know your stuff? That's what people are looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, uh, I think a lot of 20 year olds could, could focus on being around more correct people on that vision and focusing on that vision a little earlier. It was something I had a very late start to. I, I had a very slight view of it, but it didn't really kind of hone in until probably 25, 26 when I really started seeing it. I really started understanding the discipline of going and getting it. I think for you but, to, I know Dane for sure. Life had to slap Dane in the face. Dane, I, our dad would tell us till we're blue in the face, like, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. Dane's like, I got this. And then life, whack. Okay. It, that all listen. It's hard when you're 20 and that the great insights that you are getting are from a parent mm-hmm. that you're not wanting to listen to them the same, mm-hmm. that you're having those, those things told to you that sometimes you have to hear it from someone else. Yeah. And then now you look back at it at a time like this that I was like, okay, my dad was right. I just wasn't great at listening at that point in my life. Yeah. But um, no, I, I think that's great insight. I think you, I mean, you, came with a ton of great insight on this whole podcast. So it beyond thankful that you came on. Um, it's a lot of respect for what you've built. I know it's not easy. I know once again, everyone sees the, the shiny objects from outside. They don't see all the hard work that went on inside to, to build the, the empire that you're building. And it's cool to watch. It's cool to be a part of. It's cool to get a help with the marketing. It's cool to that our, our paths have crossed and intertwined with Moss Market Group as a whole. Yeah. So uh, financial advice, financial advising, whatever it is that you're looking for, this is your guy. We are going to put all your links below. Uh, and any final thoughts? No, this has been great. You know, I think I, I've been reluctant to be on this. <laughs> yeah, I think you've asked me a time or two. And, a couple times. Yeah, and I think... Um, Persistence is key. <laughs> um, I can remember in college not wanting to do any kind of speaking in front of people, and and you know I think that you know I'm I'm glad to be here. You guys have a great business. I'm I'm excited for you guys, and yeah, you know I think from a standpoint of um, money, it's a lot of people just don't have the conversations they need to have, right? They they're trying to compare themselves with friends and comparison is a thief of joy, right? You've got to talk to somebody that can be non-biased. that can help you where you're at. Everybody's at a different place. Everybody's at a different part of the race. And I remember starting my career thinking I was behind, right? I was comparing myself to my friends that were buying the house, getting married and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And they were questioning why I was doing what I was doing. And I just think that you've got to you've got to you've got to connect with like-minded people. You've got to be considerate of your circle. You're not going to likely outperform your circle. 
too many people get comfortable in what their friends were, who they were. And I know that's been a challenge for myself, right? I, I, I really like people, um, high school, college, and you've got to continue to be thinking about, um, you know, those friends of the future, right? And, and people that are like-minded, helping you continue to think bigger. And um, I think just wrapping it up in, in some thoughts would be um, seek out advice, right? You don't have to work with somebody, but seek out advice. A lot of the times in the financial industry too, or even when it comes to growing wealth, most people are willing to have a conversation or two or three with you with no cost. So why wouldn't you do that to say, here's my bold vision. Here's what I'm thinking. Tell me what your thoughts are. Show me the roadmap. And if it aligns with you, why not go ahead and give it a shot, right? Start paying yourself forward. Start thinking about where that could lead you. And um, I think most people don't take those steps. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like I said, tons of tons of great insight on this. You're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the financial space. And uh, I'm glad that you're on my side of the table. So I'm going to say that's it for the M3 podcast. Thank you, Logan and Dre, for being on. That is it. Peace. Thanks for listening to the M3 podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Want to learn more? Check us out on Instagram at Moss Marketing Group, on Facebook at Moss Marketing 58, or on our website at mossmarketinggroup.com. <laughs>